Hello and welcome back again to Red Star Radio. This week we're taking a deviation from the norm and we are deciding to become an anti-science pro-astrology podcast because that's where the money's going. So therefore you, we will be giving stock tips based on the location of the sun in relation to the constellation of your choice. Call the following number for advice on stocks and we will probably be about as accurate as anybody else out there at the moment. On a more serious note, welcome back again to Red Star Radio. I am your co-host, Alexander Davidson, and joining me is our co-host, Leila Mashoi. And this week, myself and Leila will be looking at the science question, and more specifically, like, what is the, what is the meaning of the term science? It's presented as this neutral positive term to us, as if it's free of contradiction. We'll be looking into what lies behind that assumption, why science is like many other things in capitalist society. It's conditioned by what we would call its place in terms of its relationship with the, the means of production or its incorporation with the means of production and the implications of that. Particularly, this is of huge relevance today because of the ongoing uh, political crisis over COVID, but more widely, it's something that has been developing within capitalist society since at least the post-war period and intensifying since the 80s, which is that capitalism increasingly doesn't actually make political claims for its validity anymore. It claims scientific legitimacy for its economic and political systems. And we're going to be looking at the contradictions drawn out from that. But to start ourselves off then, um, let's start looking at the the science. What do we mean by the science? What is meant by that term? What values does it come with? And when we say, um, when Marxists say bourgeois science, what do we mean by that? So, do you want to do you want to jump straight into that question, Layla? Yeah, and I think it's it is a hard question because um, for me, um, this pandemic is the thing that made me realize that there is a difference, or at least there is a conceptual difference between the two that we can at least grasp in our mind, uh, even though it may be completely utopian, meaning it only exists, you know, like it, it, like you cannot have a science that is not political. Um, and so for me, this pandemic showed me the how political science is and how that completely shapes the type of knowledge that it produces. And most importantly, how that knowledge is applied. Um, and I think that science as a um, and scientists generally see themselves and see what they do as completely objective and just like what they're practicing is a pure pursuit of knowledge and empirical, empirically attainable reality. Um, but when you realize that it's politicized, um, you realize that what they're what they are ascertaining is not actually reality um what they're what they're you know able to bring out of reality is is very much shaped by the politics of the day and the and the ruling class of the day and so like i think that you know something is coming out of that but it's not quite objective reality um but it's a little i think it's a little hard to wrap your mind about it like at least for me i'm still you know, it's hard to describe, it's hard to, to speak about because then it really begs the question as to whether, like, human beings as political animals, like, can we ever 
truly do a science where we ascertain objective reality. And I mean, I guess as Marxists, we would say yes, because um, of our philosophy. But currently in our context, like, I would say that it's not possible. And so it really changes the way in which we we have to kind of view and take in science and especially how we view and kind of, you know, ascertain scientists. Well, I think the the place to start from is to look at um, how the scientific um, the scientific techniques that were de- that were developed that's come to define our our modern era um, these don't develop in a vacuum as you've said now what has happened since the dawn of the industrial age is that the you've ev- you've seen ever more the um, scientific and innovation be bound up completely within the capitalist mode of production and what that means is that ever since the beginning of the the industrial period and Marx and Engels were both keen observers of this the process of scientific discovery um, has of course been funded directly by states funded directly by individual capitalists and then later by corporations um, innovations in terms of uh, the ability of factories to turn out more of its products on a more efficient scale i.e. employing less labor taking less time these were key um, developments within the 19th century that of course Engels in his dual role as both a theorizer of uh, communism and Marxism and also a factory owner was able to observe at close quarters and from that arises the contradiction which is that you have all of these great leaps forward in terms of technological and scientific process but it's become bound up ever more with capitalism itself and that produces a contradiction in that the you have these potentially hugely beneficial developments in science and technology but it's all done to essentially improve the efficiency and profit-making ability of the bourgeoisie and because that's how um, the scientific process is now worked into our society that yeah. inevitably uh, twists and perverts a lot of its conclusions based because it's based around the generation of profit. It's funded directly by capitalists themselves. And also the position of individual scientists goes from being one where in maybe in ages past they were sort of semi-independent researchers in institutions of higher learning to being direct and salaried employees of a corporation or a government or both. And that is some of the contradictions we're going to be exploring in the next hour or so. Have I summed that up adequately? Yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think that we have, I think you and I can both agree that there is an existence of something that arose during the Enlightenment, which is the scientific method, which is a legitimate way of trying to ascertain empirical reality that definitely does exist and we can definitely understand it and conceptualize it as apart from like at least on a conceptual level we can understand that and agree that that is a a better method of um like trying to gather information about the external world which we both agree exists prior to human experience um and seek to understand it but i think that when it becomes uh, problematic and when we have to where like to just bring that in and and have it applied within a real world 
which is a class society. That's when that method starts to break down on a variety of fronts. And um, because it can only ever be applied within a human society, like um, the method cannot do anything if it's just floating around in um, a world of, of concepts um, in the numinal realm or whatever, um, like you, you cannot, you know, I think that the conflation and the pro, like the conceptual conflation that's currently happening in a lot of people's minds and definitely was happening in my own is that you can um, have a method and have an approach to understanding the world and expect that to, expect that to pan out in reality. Um, and it just never does. And so um, the only way of truly appreciating science and understanding it is through a dialectical approach. So understanding that it is existing within this um, system of contradictions. And while it may still be able to do something of value in terms of its original purpose, and scientists may be able to do that as well, um, that's always going to be wrapped up with um, and in conflict with all of these other um, pressures that are being applied to science and to scientists. So, yeah, so I think like going through a few of what these contradictions are can help us understand exactly why this is happening and why the kind of results that we can expect to see, um, as you were saying. Right. So I think like, first of all, um, as we, as it's been, I think, first of all, for me, like what's been a good lesson during this pandemic is the way in which like scientists are petty bourgeois, like they're part of the ruling class. They, you know, and I don't say these things to be mean, but scientists are class enemies. Okay, so like they're enemies of the proletariat. They're not conscious of it, especially people like doctors and healthcare providers and things like that believe that they're helping people in general. And then they're moving forward, uh, you know, humanity in whatever way that they're studying. But actually what they're doing is just um, maintaining class domination. Like that is the end result of whatever they're doing. Do you think that's a fair assessment or too harsh? I would say that the most of the certainly medical scientists, research scientists exists within the petty bourgeoisie and the role of the petty bourgeoisie is the same as it ever was, which is that it it bounces between the working class and the ruling class in terms of its um, in terms of its political orientation. And in a time like now, when the the ruling class has been dominant in terms of its um, long-standing victory over the uh, the working class in the from the period of the 60s to the 1980s, so inevitably the scientists, along with everybody else in the the petty bourgeois class, has become more and more orientated towards a an outlook of the bourgeoisie because the organized political forces of the working class have declined and fallen in many respects. So that counter-pressure from the working class does not exist in the way that it once did. Therefore, the class position of the scientist tends to put him or her in more antagonistic position with the working class because they are more and more aligned with the capitalist class. And that, I think, is a, I, that's my assessment of where we stand at the moment. Okay, so, all right, so let's be generous and say that they would normally be under uh, conditions where they're 
under, you know, conflicting pressure from the proletariat as well from the bourgeoisie. But I think definitely currently we can say that there there is no class like there is very low levels of class struggle overall. So what they're going to be producing and what they're going to be doing will more or less just be for for the bourgeoisie to maintain like class domination on their side. Yeah, as um, things stand at the so, moment, that that's where we are. Yeah. Okay, so knowing that, um, I think I think the challenge then is to understand, okay, so knowing that there is no kind of opposing pressure, um, like, how can we understand, like, like, how can we understand, like, what is actually, you know, good and bad about what they're, like, like, is there anything that from this, like, context, can science produce anything that is actually valuable? Now, that's, an, that's the important question. And my instinctual reply would be that we have to view the products of bourgeois science as we view anything else. I think that the, I think that there is undoubtedly the case that due to the needs of industrial capitalism the general picture with regard to the overall health of the working class did significantly improve between the middle part of the 19th century and the, the a, a century or so later like life expectancy jumped up um, people certain diseases were eradicated for instance the move to eradicate cholera in britain was done because the the epidemics were breaking out of the the working class areas and getting into the bourgeois areas so that led and of course it was having an impact on production in terms of so many workers dying of preventable disease and that impact on production and profit is what gives us sanitation and the public and the basis of a public health system um so you have that progressive role but even when it's playing that progressive role it's still linked into the needs of capital and the needs of capital for a more durable and less um, prone to early death workforce. And so, of course, that has some benefits to the working class in terms of living longer and living healthier lives. But then again, that comes also with limitations. So this is what we mean by seeing this in a dialectical manner. It's This is not just a case of saying bad or good. This is a matter of recognizing that what you have in terms of, as you were saying, the the scientific method, when it comes about through the Enlightenment, produces these jumps forward, which are undoubtedly progress, which the working class does to a degree benefit from. But these then run into the limitations of it being within the capitalist mode of production, which is if um, any, any new innovation is immediately turned into a profit center. And that then puts it in antagonistic terms towards the working class because these new innovations are more often than not going to be used to increase the rate of exploitation, to increase the ability of capitalists to actually efficiently exploit the labor of the working class. So that would be my that would be my view on it. How do you how do you see it? Maybe it would be a good time now to kind of explore the specific mechanisms that are putting pressure on science and scientists to produce these adverse results, like specifically. So so why isn't like I guess the question is why isn't it that scientists that are trained in the method that certainly view themselves as objective yeah. um, seekers uh, ob objective players within a system and see their own 
kind of role as um, as applying the scientific method to um, gather empirical um, data on objective reality? Why is it that they can't actually follow through with that specifically? So I think we both agree that they are part of the petty bourgeoisie at least, and a petty bourgeoisie that's under no pressure from the working class. And so, so for instance, like I think obviously this pandemic is a great example of this kind of stuff at, at work. And we've seen kind of the breakdown of the scientific method in a lot of uh, circumstances. So I think I think a big thing that people don't kind of realize is that scientists are very like, you know, I've spoken to a, 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 like a lot during this pandemic, uh, like epidemiologists and doctors specifically that I know f from like my life. And um you they're very group oriented in a way that is like surprising because one would think that someone who um is trained to by many years would have developed um, a sense of independent thought and critical a critical orientation generally but that's really not the case and I think that the reason why they are so group oriented and so unwilling to stake out a position, even if they kind of suspect that things are really not the way that they should be, or even if they suspect that the method isn't being followed, um, is because of the way in which, yeah, like funding science works. Like you, there is no kind of indep like independent institutions of science anymore. When science started out, um, when the scientific method was first being developed and applied by the earliest scientists, uh, it was being done in, a, in academia and in um, under you know patronage uh, systems that were kind of made in order to be independent and apart from the dominant society that was um, dominated by the church. By, by Christian ideology, for instance, or religious ideology. And so they were able to carve out an independent spot. But now what we're seeing at this stage in capitalism is that academia has, has been completely subsumed by um, capitalist social relations. And so they're no longer able to carve out this independent space, even like in a, in a you know, kind of semi way, like in a, in a way that, you know, tenure, for instance, is, 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 has become like very become more and more um, fragile and it's more and more it's harder and harder to get even a tenure track position in academia even in the sciences and all the other scientists are located in like private research institutions or in the government and so there's no independent spot for them to have any 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 kind of opportunity to be you know an independent thinker at all and they don't realize it because they still view view themselves as independent people but institutionally speaking like they're complete they're not there is no independent scientist anymore they're all within like um some kind of capitalist institution yeah and that's that's something which not uh, not just scientists are incapable of analyzing their own class position an awful lot of people within the <laughs> within the petty bourgeoisie aren't capable of analyzing their own either but these the institutions that of which mo the majority of science scientists will belong to are, as you've correctly said, incorporated into uh, capitalist production methods. The uh, institutions of academia have been wholly subordinated to the needs of the wider capitalist economy. These are not centers of independent learning at all. And that was obvious when I started going to university, which was 18 years ago. 
um, and it's only gotten worse since then. Certainly in British terms, it's only gotten worse. There is an awful lot of money going into scientific research in British universities, but an awful lot of this, the overwhelming majority, in fact, comes from uh, major chemical pharmaceutical companies and also foreign governments. So, for instance, up the road from me mm-hmm. in the University of Manchester, you've got this whole institute called the Graphene Institute, which is um, an institute paid for by the Chinese government, uh, which is doing whatever it is that the Chinese government wants it to do. Um, because they're the ones paying the bills at the end of the day. And sometimes this doesn't even, in terms of bourgeois institutions, if you're working in one, the priorities don't even need to come in the form of a written directive because the if you're the funder of this, you get to hire the top men, you get to set the management culture, and once the management culture is set, then they hire the right people for that culture. And uh, you don't have any questions then. And nothing needs to be written down because everybody's just working along the lines that have been set by the the ruling class people who who pay for all of this stuff, or the foreign or the state that pays for all this stuff. Therefore, you never see any barriers because you never push up against any barriers because if you were going to push up against the barriers, they wouldn't have hired you in the first place. And if you do, then, well, your funding is withdrawn, your projects uh, um, get, a, get a big no stamp, and your reputation can get ruined. And this thing, these things do matter a lot in the institutions of learning because once you've been labeled as something negative, it's incredibly hard then to get mm-hmm. other work. And these are all just disciplinary mm-hmm. mechanisms which operate within every industry, every form of work, mm-hmm. and especially in um, areas that used to be labeled as the professions in capitalist society. So science, journalism, um, other areas where there used to be some kind of semi-independent petty bourgeois existence. Well, now these are all completely suborned under the most... Um, the most fundamental of capitalist uh, relations. So that independent space is gone. If you defy the directives, if you defy the group expectations, if you defy what is given to you as your task, if you try and develop any kind of independent thinking, um, that's often can be very easily crushed and you along with it. And that's the kind of atmosphere that is being bred in both the institutions of higher learning and certainly in the corporate world as well. Yeah, so I think, you know, what we've observed a lot in this pandemic is um, competitive pressures at work. So something you mentioned to me is um, how, um, you know, we've seen what I've, you know, what it's been especially shocking to see is is see academics and doctors and you know, other men and women of high learning become just propagandists for the government, just parroting government lines and basically creating science and creating interpretations of science to just basically bluster whatever the government is saying. And yeah. uh, something you said is that, yeah, it's because like there's market mechanisms in place that reinforce that type of behavior. Let's uh, let's think about it for a moment. I said there a minute, uh, just a moment ago, that... Um, behavior that's outside of the norm will be rapidly disciplined away or the person will be labeled as a not a conspiracy theorist a covid denier all that kind of thing Um, but what the remarkable thing about the past year Mm -hmm. has been just how many people are still prepared to actually step outside and say well no this is a violation of basic scientific methods and this is wrong and 
you see even people who are from sort of a a very bourgeois liberal perspective like that guy brett weinstein who does the um, podcast and youtube videos there's a clip you, you shared with me where he's going through some of the uh, the data the data on covid deaths and how it's arrived at and basically saying well this is this is completely unscientific the way that they've actually come up with these numbers and then you get stuff like the um the covid test that uh, delivered numbers that were way too high and people asked the right people rightly asked the question as to well why does this get pushed through and it's because uh once a certain agenda is set in place by certainly governments who have limitless um sources of funding so like the british government if you're um, looking to secure funding or a role for yourself or greater funding for your institution and suddenly the british government turns around and says right everything now uh we're throwing everything in terms of resources at covid and covid prevention and all the other things that are associated with it well then so there suddenly exists a gigantic financial motivation for people to run along with what the messaging that the government expects now they may not even be conscious of it but it is a but it is a motivation and because we've seen what happens here which is that studies suddenly get produced and jumped upon by the government and promoted mm. if it promotes the government's line even if they've gone through very little peer review or testing and that that is one of the big defining features of the past year is it not yeah exactly and so like if if the government and society at large is going to promote certain viewpoints and reward them, not necessarily financially, just e even in terms of like fame, in terms of um, acknowledgement and censor everyone else, then, yeah, like, of course, you're going to only get uh, the doctors that are willing to, you know, conform with whatever is the dominant viewpoint that will be getting platformed. And yes, there have been a few kind of dissenting voices that have been able to break through the layers of censorship and um, and and the kind of the the self censorship censorship that has been applied on them. So you know, namely, Ionidas was like really early on in this whole thing being critical, but. Um, you know, those people like even himself, he was censored. He, he was censored like when he gave uh, his interviews were censored on YouTube and um, he was completely attacked in ad hominid um, to this day. Like he was accused of accepting like um, funding from like some kind of airplane company, uh, which turned out to be a clearly baseless um, accusation. And so, yeah. And so like there is really no other way that like even if scientists wanted to even as a, in a, in a as a group it, most of them were kind of inclined towards integrity which I don't think that most of them actually are um at least not in a way that I would I would deem I would deem having integrity and having principles um it doesn't matter anyways because the class forces at play and the way the market kind of rewards behavior and punishes um um, dissenting behavior would just make it impossible for those people to have a voice to begin with. Yeah. And so like, I suppose it's not really, yeah. So like, you know, there, there's just overdetermining factors at play that just make it impossible for science, for good science to be at, at the very least platformed um, and, you know, to be done at all. Like if, if there is no incentive for it to happen. Yeah. And this is uh, what we've talked about before in terms of capitalist decay and degeneracy. 
So when you have a period where now the capitalist economy in Britain and the United States being two of the most dominant capitalist powers and certainly two of the oldest are decaying to the degree that they are in terms of being based on just huge debt bubbles, rampant speculation, uh, large amounts of fictitious capital floating through the system, um, the whole thing underpinned by massive and ongoing state intervention to keep the bubbles inflated. All of that is is a sign of a capitalism which is in the deep rot. And it's not just Marxists saying that. There's people from all kinds of different political and economic perspectives analysing things and coming to similar conclusions. When that is the case, when the base, the economic base of society is going rotten and degenerating, then it rots and degenerates everything else as well. So this is true in the censorship debate. It's true in the censorship of dissenting scientists. If the government's line was something that could easily be defended, then there wouldn't be, they wouldn't feel the need to compel into silence people who are dissenting. They wouldn't feel the need to um, smear and lie about them and propagandize about them because if they're so, if these people are so far off the reservation, then they would, it would be able, they would be able to demonstrate how they were wrong and wouldn't be afraid of having that debate out in the open. But because the system is so corrupt and so degenerated and brittle, it can't have those rigorous discussions, even in its own ranks. So you get um, scientists and um, uh, scientific figures elevated into the realm of the political as like preachers of the mm -hmm. holy truth. Yeah. When in actual fact, exactly. they aren't. Mm -hmm. They're just as degenerated as the politicians. <laughs> It's just that they've got a different yeah. costume on. Exactly. It's it, That's exactly what's happening. Like the superstructure of our society has completely ridded itself because it's so fragile. It's it's such it's based on such a fragile base. It's completely ridded itself of all critical voices and all critical thinkers of, of even even a marginal kind. I think I think a bourgeois scientist can only be a petty bourgeois scientist, at least, can only be marginally critical at best. And we can go into why, you know, I think why I think science is insufficient to understanding the world to begin with. But um, yeah, like it's completely rooted itself of anyone that it would be kind of a, a countervailing voice to maybe, you know, bring in a bit more reason to the hysteria that now is just full of people who um, are, the, are the, the, the most conformists, the ones who are most willing and able to turn off their critical thinking skills. The ones who are who are you know most willing, most hungry for things like for for silly kind of rewards like fame and recognition on Twitter and interviews on TV and stuff like that, um, which is has nothing, which those things have nothing to do with being a good scientist and following the scientific method and presenting evidence within a context, and so as a result, science itself, since its practitioners have been have been so reduced to these kind of so to the lowest level science itself the the product of science itself has also been reduced and also been uh, diminished and um, something I read into a lot in preparation for this is about and you know we've talked about it a little bit is the replication crisis and how that is it's an extremely serious crisis within science wherein over 50 percent in at least 50 percent of um, studies in a variety of fields so I'm just going to pull up my chart right now um we see like, um, you know, 90%, there was a study in Nature done a few years ago in 2016, 
where um, 1,500 scientists uh, got together to try to replicate the results of um, published science, so peer-reviewed published science. And um, 90% of the studies they tried in chemistry failed to be reproduced. 80% of them in biology failed. 70% of them in physics and engineering failed. 70% of them in medicine and 60% in geology and environment. These were like, and, and they even had them try to redo their own experiments. And the field that did the best in all of them was geology and environment. And that was still a 40% uh, fail rate. So they couldn't even reproduce their own experiment that they had um, done and published. And so science is getting, it, it, it's losing its, you know, the limited use it, it had, like, and I'm not saying it's limited in a way that it's not extremely useful. It's extremely useful to be able to ascertain objective reality through the scientific method. But it seems like it's losing even that ability at this point. It seems that even its ability to do the scientific method and gather empirical evidence and test it against hypothesis and you know, confirm whether or not we can move forward with this hypothesis or not, and then use the that process to generate a theory. It seems like that is being lost um, within science for the reason that the practitioners are just completely stupid. So the uh, unable to actually even replicate their own methods or verify their own claims, and this goes to the the heart of what we've been saying over and over again, which is that the the degeneration of the leadership of the bourgeoisie is an important factor to consider when looking at our current setup, because they themselves have started to, well, rather obviously deteriorate. It's not just that the president of the United States is a walking dementia case. It's that the all the other people in all the other the, the high-level posts have essentially just been desperately trying to, they, they are the product of a system which is just desperately trying to keep the lights on and keep everything ticking over for many many years now and not, that doesn't capitalism isn't breeding any new innovation other than to other than how to um, squeeze a little bit more profit out of um, a complicated equation on the stock market or into in brute imperialist terms how to um, extract raw profit from destroying an entire nation. Um, this isn't the, the high stage of capitalism. And when capitalism starts to go down and down and down, you start to see all kinds of these strange things start to occur, like everything becomes degenerated, everything becomes much weaker. And the one of the key reasons for that is because the both the economic and the political situation we are in is one where the starting assumption for the leaders of the bourgeoisie is that not only have they won, but there will be no more challenges to their system again. And that's the, we've talked about this before, the post-1989 technocratic mentality. And this is what, this belief that they have reached the final and most highest point of human development uh, well, once you, mm. uh, which is again that that political development is a product of the material forces, the material development of capitalism. Once they reached that point, they then also started hiding behind the language of scientific um, scientific reasoning and inst instituting these more and more technocratic systems of government governance, which actually hide behind scientific justifications for a lot of their claims. So more and more science is deployed 
not to illuminate, but to actually mask mm. contradictions and to mask political questions. So the deployment of a character like Fauci, who's portrayed as this sort of uh, heroic um, uh, heroic believer in all things truth, truthful and decent, when in actual fact he's been a political figure for 30 years or more, over and over again he's popped up in the public discourse. And in this particular case, we've mentioned it before, but he's a man who's changed his mind on uh, lockdowns, he's changed his mind on masks, he admits to changing his mind according to the opinion polls when it comes to um, the subject of herd immunity. So it's not it's not just him, but he's a very prominent example that all the scientists who are floating around the, the public sphere, so to speak, are all political figures. Everything they say is politicized to according to the demands put on them by the ruling class or the demands that they seamlessly adopt. So one of my own particular fears is that because this is the state that science is falling into, that and because science is becoming so blatantly deployed as a political tool, you do breed within a, any particular uh, backlash against the system is inevitably going to take on potentially anti-scientific overtones that could be potentially very damaging for human development because people naturally and rightly get suspicious and angry about the deployment of science and scientists in a, and being weaponized against them, then we run the risk of actually losing the positive side of the scientific method when a political turn does come. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, I think people are going, maybe not like in these terms, but I think what you're describing to me is the transformation of science into something that used to be a method of understanding something into what is essentially just a capitalist branding. It's just a way yeah. of, yeah, it's just a way of presenting politics of domination in a way which, which currently most people still view science as something that is noble and valuable. And, you know, people have a sense of history about how it was a progressive force. And, and those things are to a large extent true. Um, but now the bourgeoisie is, is using the, the what remains in our society as, as like they've already kind of ruined um, art and uh, music and, you know, all of the uh, that side of stuff. Culture has already been depleted and now they're depleting even the nobler kind of sides of our society like science as well and using it as just this, you know, very vulgar tool for for justifying their class oppression and uh, repress re repressive policies so yeah so like i think though like before do you want to talk a little bit about how it, whether we can even say that science is sufficient to begin with to understand the world anyways well we can we can talk a little bit about that because it's the the, the it's implicit in what we've already said in that the the scientific method yeah. is this huge step forward for the human race as a whole. But then when it becomes just seamlessly incorporated into capitalist production, its truth becomes at best partial. And then at worst, when capitalism reaches this stage of degeneracy, it becomes a barrier to further discovery. Just in the same way that capitalism can never fully... Um, ex fully use the immense 
power of the productive forces that it gathers around itself and it, and it partially unleashes because it's constrained by the private ownership of the means of production. The same is true of science in general because it's so incorporated. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think I think I think when we before we get into the anti-science orientation, um I think it's important to note that science is is like even at its best in bourgeois society, even when it is done according to the best like um kind of requirements of research methodology and the scientific method and all these different things, even at its best, it is very limited. Because okay, so I, I think that it is fundamentally limited within class society because number one, I think an important limitation is that it is based on it is based on liberal a liberal viewpoint of the world, meaning that uh, you know medical science and anything that touches human beings, which is most things, um, is based on the idea that uh, human beings exist as individuals before they exist as part of a social context, right? Um, and you see this a lot with, um, you know, these lockdown policies and stuff. So kind of, you know, pre- like assuming that people can, um, you know, live apart from one another for months on end and, you know, it's fine. Like there's no kind of major issues with that because we are kind of like th- that would be true if we first existed as individuals. But I think like from a Marxist perspective, this is inc- this is an incorrect premise. Like we first exist as social beings. Like we, we there is no existence of an individual outside of the um, outside of the collective. Right. And so any policy that is based on this idea that, you know, you can just be an individual on his or her, her own and, you know, just be fine with that. And that and whatever health outcomes come out of like even if we were to assume that the lockdowns did have like some verifiable benefits just in the limited sense of reducing the spread of COVID-19 for instance it would still be based on a false premise and so that puts into question the entire kind of um, effort in my view and I think second of all um, science can can only it can only ever make determinations after the fact right so the best scientists that you'll meet when you speak to them about these lockdowns and stuff like that will simply say, well, listen, there isn't any evidence of benefit. There isn't any evidence of harm. We don't have enough evidence to make a determination either way. Now, okay, so I still think, though, in that situation, you would still adopt the null hypothesis at least and just say, okay, well, we don't have enough evidence to show that they actually do anything. So we have to, you know, stick with the assumption that they do not. So the null hypothesis in that situation. But in any case, like they'll just say, well, I can't make I can't uh, take a position on this because I just don't have the evidence. And that is actually the appropriate scientific method that is a scientist doing science. But I think like with dialectical materialism, we can actually make a before the fact determination. We can say with certainty that these lockdowns will do more harm than good if they do any good at all. For the reason that we're able to see like the that approach takes into account the totality of, of everything or we do our best to do so. I mean, obviously, like we're, we're limited because we don't we're not like, you know, we are just two people talking, but like 
we're able to kind of at least acknowledge that there is a totality to begin with and acknowledge that there are a lot of harms to this that we don't even understand because of the intricacies of, um, of a social being that exists within a social context and a web of relationships. And so we, we can, and also we can, we, we understand the class forces that are causing these lockdowns to be the main policy within COVID, uh, the COVID-19 response and understand who's going to be the winner and loser from this whole operation, we can make it before the fact determination. And that's why we've been able to come out very strongly against the lockdowns, at least after like once we've understood the whole the whole thing. But scientists will never be able to do that, really. They'll always take like this hesitant kind of like, well, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not a politician, you know, this isn't my field and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I think that science is actually quite limited in a way that people don't appreciate. It is it is. It has fundamental limitations. Yeah, and the, the the pressure that is brought to bear on scientists by bourgeois politicians to come out well and say, well, Boris Johnson will say to somebody, well, I need you to come out and say that the scientific case is this. And even if the scientist knows, as you've just been saying, that there isn't enough data to say that, that there isn't enough research, hasn't enough re- been enough research done to justify a particular position they'll then be afraid of losing their position, losing a job in the future, losing income, losing reputation, stop being invited on Sunday chat shows, all that kind of shit. And then they'll go out and they'll come out with some statement that supports the government's position. And we know that this has happened time and time and time again for precisely the reasons that we've just outlined. But I want to mention another field of um, science and medicine, which is the field of psychiatry and psychology, which is where the the limitation becomes very clear when you look into the, an area such as that, because when you actually start when like people like uh, Freud and then later characters like R. D. Lang were looking into um, psychiatric or psychological problems within certain populations, they kept finding over and over again that the the problem was not um, overwhelmingly in most cases. It was not a problem with uh, the chemical imbalances or um, mutations or malformations of the brain. This was some problems that were rooted in the social experience of the people concerned. Uh, but to treat that, that's not a purely medical question. To treat that properly then you have to expand the gaze into something which is comprehensive, which looks at the person's social and economic life. And only through examining that can you start to see the uh, the origins of what may be quite deep-rooted uh, psychological issues. But because bourgeois medicine has no interest in doing that for the, the working-class population, this is what lies behind the the massive over-medicalization of people uh, who are presenting uh, symptoms of anxiety and depression. It's why um, doctors are told just to prescribe them antidepressants, keep them on their feet and keep them able to go into work to generate profit for the ruling class. I mean, admittedly, that's not the directive, but that's the assumption. And don't spend huge amounts of time going yeah. into why they are as mm-hmm. they are, what is their circumstances of life, what can be done to adjust that, because the bourgeoisie has no interest in adjusting any of that. What they have an interest in is, well, are they going to create a problem? Are they going to not be able to work? Okay, stick them on this. It'll repress the worst of it, and it'll keep them mm. on their feet. And that's the that's a textbook case of how capital 
restricts the vision of the the of the potential vision of the of the doctor who's called upon to treat somebody and it's a case where the reliance on chemicals and stimulants is there to preserve the ability of the worker to be exploited yeah and it it also does not give it's also like it's a blatantly bad solution right but it also doesn't allow us to truly understand what's going on like it doesn't allow us to understand the true roots of depression for instance like in these lockdowns as i've talked about before we don't scientists are still kind of bemused as to why despite extremely severe lockdowns spread is still continuing and they'll be like oh it's because people are not following the rules it's not because of that it's because people are still going to work and they 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 don't take sick days even when they are symptomatic okay and so they have to make up this thing called asymptomatic spread to explain like so but if 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 they were able to integrate different fields from like you know like it would it would be so many different fields like to, to do with um you know sociology and um yeah maybe like some psychology some like obviously labor relations economics work or whatever they just cannot do that because of the way in which science is structured it's extremely specialized like scientists know like more and more about less and less as i was reading in one book yeah and so like their the vision is so restricted now that they can't even like you know as you were kind of you 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 kind of outline with psychology too the premises are incorrect to begin with that we are you know individuals a priori before being social beings which is incorrect but yeah they're just not able to integrate all the fields that they would need to to properly understand a question they're not able to deal with the totality it's it's impossible for them for science i think yeah this at is least the, science as it stands this is the application of the a very strict division of labor within the scientific field yeah, uh, you get uh, as you said, uh, people know more and more about less and less. So you have some incredibly specialized people who know about one particular thing because that's their place in the overall um, scientific political economy, and that's so that's something which, ironically enough, the um, Che Guevara wrote specifically about in his essay "Revolutionary Medicine," where he talks about the need to erase the barriers uh, in medicine in order to develop a truly um, societal approach to actually treating diseases. Uh, yeah. he, calls, he says that the, 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 a brief quote from him from that essay is that uh, the principle upon which the fight against disease should be based is the creation of a robust body, not the creation of a robust body by the artistic work of a doctor upon a weak organism, rather the creation of a robust body within the work of the whole collectivity upon mm-hmm. the entire social collectivity. So that gives an answer, just a brief indication of his thinking there, and I'll link to the, uh, the that full essay in the episode description, because what he's trying to do is he's trying via the theory and practice in the Cuban revolutionary process to look at how medicine can change to be something which is done by the bourgeoisie to the working class and in the Cuban case to the peasantry as at best an act of charity to something which can be incorporated into the social and community life and become a function of society uh, Mm -hmm. rather than something which is done to people. Yeah and so okay so I think we've gone through like a lot about how science is so limited. All right so I think this is a good part to say okay are we are we anti-science then? 
Like, do you believe anything that's coming out of science? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> buy your, um, your anti-gay frog <laughs> testosterone pills at our online shop. Um, well, I mean, uh, I'll echo what I said earlier, which is that the you, we have to place the science within its proper context and its proper location within capitalist society which is this is this is something which is now it is from the point of view of um, research and development into new technologies to to through to medicine through to um specific very the micro fields of studies such as um, epidemiology virology etc none of these are separate from the capitalist mode of production all of these are completely incorporated mm. into it and once that is true everything that comes out of it comes out of it from the point of view of how is this going to be something which can ultimately serve the process of capital accumulation so my view is you have to look at it as you would look at anything else coming out coming out of something in with that class setup in mind some of it as it always has been is going to contain within it kernels mm. of truth and things that can be useful but the overall picture is one whereby because of the way it is incorporated into capital it is an integral part of capitalism you have to then do an analysis on any product of it to see well what actual good does this do the working class and that's the position you have to take which is that let's go back to the 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 psychiatry and the over medicalization of treatment of depression anxiety etc well does it really benefit the working class to have uh, potentially hundreds of thousands millions of people on powerful antidepressants which actually suppress parts mm. of the brain which necessarily suppress parts of the brain because this is they're, they're trying to suppress the part which de which generates the uh, the feelings of depression and anxiety dissatisfaction that can manifest in quite severe emotional mm -hmm. problems but is that the best solution for the working class to be just kept medicalized because that's the best solution mm. for capital the best solution for capital is to keep the problem suppressed, make sure they can still come in, and if they go mad in the end once they've mm -hmm. retired, who cares? Once we, if we can't exploit them anymore, who cares? Just keep them, keep them able to mm -hmm. function. And that's my argument. I keep using that example because it's such a glaring one, where the actual proper treatment is ignored, and they're and we're just given the medicalized, medicalized, pharmaceuticalized solution. So that and that tells you an awful lot about how medicine and scientific development is used on the working class to keep them a, a hyper exploitable class. And what would that what would medicine be like if it was developed in the interests of the working class who are the the universal class, the other one, the majority in every society? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And we one of the reasons we're doing this, this particular podcast, is you we we want to encourage people to break down the wall around particular areas which you're told aren't affected by class. And we want to elucidate the fact that, yes, these very much are. Yeah, I think I'm a little more pessimistic, um, especially if, after reading about the replication crisis and the intrinsic kind of the ways in which so much research is just not true. It's said to be true, but it is not true. Mm. And um, 
I think that your point about the degeneration of capitalism and the fragility of the base on which it is based, like fictitious capital, um, has a has had a really big impact on my thinking on science. Um, and I'm not so sure. I I'm not I'm not convinced that an anti-science stance is necessarily incorrect. To be honest, at this point, um, I mean, I think that some science that was maybe created earlier is good, like good in the sense that it is actually a reflection of objective reality it is a piece of that but i'm not so sure mm. about the newest stuff coming out i <laughs> i i don't know i <laughs> i think so i think to your point like i think as long as capitalism exists um and class domination is maintained then science must still produce something that is true because capitalism can't be based on like literally nothing like it has to be based on some marginal notion of, of truth in order to operate and to your point too like yeah. if if something is being like if some kind of scientific finding is being broadly applied to the working class you can bet that it's not going to be a hundred percent great but it's not going to kill you probably not right so they're not going to do something that just genocides the entire working class so I think like for things like vaccines, like I would still trust them because everyone's getting them type thing and it, they're like a societally applied thing. So while they may not do much good, they're probably not going to do much harm. You know what I mean? So that's how I, but yeah. I, I think that though, like, um, I do think that there may come a point that science just completely fails to produce anything but that would mean that capitalism is at its end of like that's that's basically the end of capitalism like we're we're ready to go to the next mode of production because without its ability to move the move technology forward um capitalism cannot continue either it can it can't keep up with the, the competitive pressures that are that are um intrinsic to its operation so yeah so like i think that it's it's maybe not good to be anti-science, but it is good to be anti-pro-science, if that makes sense. So, yeah, no more fucking <laughs> yeah, no. science memes. No, I think I, I don't know. I I feel bad because I feel like when I speak about this, I become um, you know the sh- the what's in vogue right now, the Schmidtian good versus evil. You know, f- yeah, friend exactly, the friend foe distinction, but applied to scientific research. But I actually think that it makes sense in this given the situation and given what what is the reality of the quality of research that's coming out right now. Like not only is a lot of it not true, but claimed to be true. um, A lot of it is just simply not useful. A lot of it is just done out of pure market pressure. Like so, for instance, people will just Hmm. do research in order to get a promotion or in order to get published um, or a lot of research will be repressed because the um, the peer reviewer, um, the, the scientific paper on the table will be like dismissed, dismissed, not because it's not true, but because the reviewer doesn't want it to contradict his or her own findings. Right. So I think that yeah. science, I think for science to be done properly. And I, when I say science, I just mean in the pure scientific method kind of, of empirical sense, like it really needs yeah, it needs like a democratic context. Like you need to be able to freely express yourself. There needs to be more egalitarianism. Like people need to be feel free to 
um, you know, contradict one another without any repercussion, like without, without any kind of financial repercussions. Like there needs to be more freedom to, you know, do to 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 redo. Um, like right now, people don't often try to redo um, experiments because there's no prestige in that. Um, and it, it's difficult for like a younger scientist to come out and redo the experiment of an older scientist and find that their science doesn't really, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't pan out. It doesn't like, um, it doesn't replicate. Right. So there, there, there's very few incentives for people to actually do, try to do what is the core, the, one of the core things of science, which is replication and uh, theory testing. Like you constantly have to be testing what you've already created in order for science to function properly. Like that, that is a core part of the scientific method that is now almost completely gone. Right. So I think like, yeah. it, it's a little difficult for me to say, yeah, like it definitely, I definitely would say don't, do not trust. Like, I think, what did you say was the date, the date where labor completely lost like 1980? So any science made, <laughs> right? So any science made before that, probably fine. Any science, <laughs> any science made after that, I would be skeptical. Um, so just look at it through. I think like looking at it through like a really kind of vulgar Marxist class lens will will yield like a better understanding of what's true and what's not true. So, you know, like if everyone's doing it and the government is doing it to everyone, it's probably not going to hurt you. Probably not going to do much good either, but probably not going to hurt you. Um, but you know, I would take everything coming out of bourgeois science with a huge, huge grain of salt. Um, and yeah, like it, 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 it I think science now is, yeah, it, it's really, really lost its ability to do even like the little, it was it, it, to do what it was able to do in the limited sense within bourgeois society. Yeah. I think this is the, this is the core of our critique, which is that the scientific field is inevitably constrained and then eventually degenerated by the overall degeneration of capitalism and as capitalism itself ceases to produce uh, new ceases to produce new innovations that actually take humanity as a whole forward then science falls with it to the point where you literally can't trust anything because it's all just been weaponized to justify current and existing class relations because everything's in a in a period of pronounced stagnation and actually if we want to liberate the scientific method if we want to liberate yeah. human innovation again mm -hmm. then we cannot stay within the bounds of capitalism because yeah. this is this is what it looks like when a system obviously starts to run out of juice and then yeah. there may be now i'm not going to speculate as to where we are in that process of degeneration but we're certainly at least in british terms at least 50 <laughs> years into it was leading the world in degeneration and farce <laughs> leading the way it's yeah, where capitalism yeah. started too in yeah, manchester this, where you live yeah right? exactly and, <laughs> and what better man to lead us into this degenerative farce than boris johnson he is the man of the hour well, he's leading the way with he got COVID done. He got Brexit he's got COVID done. done. He's got Brexit <laughs> done. He is now um, he's now going to uh, embark on the the reconquista of Scotland and Wales. Um, like who knows what, what limits this man will find? Maybe he'll try and reestablish the British Empire in France. I don't know. Anything's possible at this stage. 
Uh, this is the exciting. This is how exciting it is to live in a period of advanced capitalist degeneracy. You never know what the uh, degenerated leaders are going to try next. Um, I think Boris Johnson may be the best bourgeois politician in the world, and I, I don't. I don't say that with any sarcasm. Uh, he really may good. well be. <laughs> I he's, think. He's... I hope he does reestablish the British Empire. Well, I, would love that. I don't. I, I really don't fancy being drafted and being sent to the reconquest of India. That's 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 not going to go well. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Maybe just stick to the Commonwealth, like the the countries that are not going to put up a big fight. You know, like the Wales. Wales, exactly. Yeah, like those kind of little, <laughs> like semi countries. Anyways, yeah, I think we covered it, eh? Yeah, I think we've got it. I think we've got it. Um, <laughs> that's um, yeah. That's exactly just over well it's just over an hour so i think that's that's a good that's a good size for that topic do you have any other things to say about science uh well i don't fucking love it do you no i i've really i'm i i'm happy i was able to keep my ranting under control for this because um as i've told you bourgeois scientists or scientists in general have just been disgusting to me over this whole thing like i think that they've how dare you? They all came to Canada as penniless migrants. <laughs> yeah. All of them. Like the worst part about them is that they don't realize how they are propagandists. They don't realize how they are players in this class war and they've taken the side of the bourgeoisie. They don't realize that. Like the most annoying part about it is that they think that they're doing people good and they think that they're helping people. And I think that makes them super dangerous. The fact that they, they like, much like the left, actually, much like yes. the left, they're leftists. That's, well, the left that's what I've seen. The left does fucking love science. Yeah, exactly. They, they, the left thinks that they're helping the workers with like their politics. And I, it's very much the same with doctors and scientists. Like they think they're helping the people by taking these stances uh, because, yeah, because the only ones that are allowed to speak and the only ones that are given a platform are those who are completely uncritical, who never, ever analyze the premises of what they say, who um, are very, like, who are so blinded by ideology that even if you present evidence under their nose, like in their face, will immediately kind of resort to emotional manipulation and blackmailing, say, well, why are you minimizing it? Or... Um, you know, like this is the best we can do, and blah blah blah. Um, so yeah, I I've um, definitely lost a lot of respect. People that I used to respect a lot, I've lost a lot of respect for. Um, and I, I mean, there's just no two ways about it. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I and I think I think there's it's true what you say. Like the we like I think it's not so much that science has been. That science itself is an enemy. I think science is a friend of the proletariat and a friend of, of humanity, for sure. But I think, and I think that the the better way of kind of viewing what's happening is that science has been abused and it needs to be rescued from these people who are abusing science and what it it, it did stand for in the Enlightenment, which was to free human beings from the feathers, the, the, the constraints of superstition and you know allow human beings to actually ascertain objective reality it's using it in again like to to do the opposite now so it's yeah. it's just well, a complete irony and it it turns yeah. into its opposite exactly yes exactly um and i it it's it 
it's tragic. It really is. It, there's no other way of putting it for me, at least. It's been tragic to see that, you know, and especially since like, um, I don't know what the system is in the UK, but in Canada, like um, doctors is um, educate like to, to, to form a doctor in Canada is a really long process. You need to have the four years of undergraduate, then you need to have the four years of medical school, then at least two years of, of uh, residency. Okay. And all of it is, ex- it's very expensive to, to put someone through school because our education is highly subsidized. So yeah. while they do pay like high tuition, it's only like a tenth of what they would usually pay. So international students, um, for instance, we have a lot of um, uh, trainees that come from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. They have to pay like 100000 a year Canadian <sighs> to, yeah, to do like a, a residency. Um, yeah. And the, the residents here pay nothing because it so it's really expensive. It's a huge investment in um, in in resources generated by the working class, by the way, by productive workers. Yeah. Um, that are being you know that that people who are privileged because of their mostly because of their class background because most doctors come from families that are professional. Um, so they they go into that because they have it's highly competitive to get in, and so they have a bunch of privileges that let them get in. And they just waste it. They waste all of that, all of that human labor time that people, you know, like give up their whole lives to create, not not willingly, but like because they're working class. But like, people have given up their lives to create, and then they waste it on just being parrots for the government instead of doing the very least they could do as scientists. The very least they could do is stand up and say, actually. There isn't any. There isn't enough evidence to make these definitive claims. That is a very weak statement. That's actually a very weak, meek statement to say. But they're not even able to do that. Okay, <laughs> so it's um, it's it's it's, it's it, I don't know what to. It's so disappointing, and it's it's so it, it you know it's it's radicalized me. <laughs> it's like, it's like you know it, I I don't think I've ever been so convinced that socialism is the only answer when like until I've seen I mean I think mainly because these lockdowns have highly affected my life but yeah seeing the degeneracy of something which I used to kind of view as the last bastion of logic and reason in our society as a totally not um has been a huge wake-up call well the contradictions of capital overpower everything in the end there's there's nowhere yeah in there's no escape economy or society that's not going to be affected by it and if someone is telling you that there's this one special area which is completely unaffected by it they're either a maniac or a liar because the what about this podcast though well <laughs> we we're, we're both products of of contradict the contradictions of capital there you go so maybe you should view maybe we should ask uh, answer uh, questions about our own contradictions in the next episode well, I think at least we're self-aware of it, unlike most people. So I think that is that's so I think that that gives us a bit more trustworthiness than most. Yeah, and also our, the predictive value our of our yeah, and the predictive value of our analysis is another point in our favor. So as long as we're able to do that still, it means that at least we're able to think a little bit more independently. But when that stops, then we have to we're going to have to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to move into stock market speculation once that happens. You know, you joke about that, but there actually is a very famous TikTok influencer, um, a 22-year-old woman who predicted the rise of Bitcoin from reading horoscopes. So you make fun, but... <laughs> you know, this this is the future. This is the future. I just need that, to... That uh, is the future. 
I just need to grow my beard a bit longer, plait it a little bit, and start calling myself some sort of mystical name and claim to be a, a Celtic druid soothsayer who can advise on investment portfolios. Did you just think about that now? Because that sounds like that's a really good idea. I just I thought that up. I thought, You've got the accent. Pop. You've got I've the got, beard. I've got the beard. I've got the, uh, the ability to... Um, I, I know enough of mysticism, mystic, mystic, mystic language to actually just spiel this off and say, when the moon is in the second quarter and the chicken's gizzards are flowing towards six o'clock on the sundial, you should invest big in BAE systems. Yeah, and Manchester isn't that far from Stonehenge, right? You could probably do all your stuff there, all the well, taping and the stuff there. Well, it's the other end of the country. I know that, oh, I know it? that okay, Britain's I pretty small, but... <laughs> It seems tiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's like a, an hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> it, you could probably do it in free. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Yeah. Make it happen. So, Make it happen. Yeah, okay. So next episode <laughs> of the podcast will be coming live from Stonehenge. We'll be doing soothsayer <laughs> readings and ad- advising on investment portfolios. Uh, it'll be a call-in show. Uh, so you give us money and we'll advise you what to do with it. I'm. I think. I. I'm. I'm. I'll be happy to be a part of this. I. <laughs> I, I lost. I, I. didn't get into the GameStop stuff. So I, this is. This is our opportunity to. This is how. This is how we monetize to make, this to yeah. our advantage. You know, We're giving up the Marxism, taking on the mysticism. Uh, that's where the money is these days. If class okay. forces at work. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that bombshell of future revelations. Um, We'll leave it there for this week's episode. We're back at the same time next week. So until then, it's uh, thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you again soon from me in uh, tiny, merry old England, where it's an hour in each direction to the coast. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for joining, and I guess I'll be there next week as well. So. <laughs>